You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and, and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out. And the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How are you doing, Craig? I'm great. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah. Thanks for uh, putting some time together to uh, talk about uh, sight fishing, freshwater sight fishing, the Tennessee uh, we might even dig into a little bit on salt. I know you, uh, you've you got a, a book out there that we're going to also talk about. Um, before we get into all this and give folks out there some tips, how did you first get into fly fishing and what's that first memory? Growing up in Cincinnati, um, it was the Walker's K Chronicles that got me hooked on uh, fly fishing. To teach myself, I had to spend a month on an island off the coast of Belize. Um, found an eco resort there and just spent a month on Glover's Atoll, about 40 miles off the coast. Wow. So this is interesting because you didn't just go to your, your nearby uh, Ohio stream. You actually went to, why do you think you had to go to Belize to learn the, the fly fishing? Um, well, you know, I, my parents taught me how to travel at a young age. I was already traveling and, you know, watching the Walker's Cake Chronicles, uh, living in Cincinnati, you know, I, I wanted to do that saltwater sight fishing experience. And I like to learn, teach myself things. It, it's hard for people to teach me things. So that's kind of how I got into it was just, um, I bought a bunch of equipment, uh, and, uh, I spent a month, uh, made some friends in the Belize defense force. And, um, uh, it was, uh, it was a good time. It was a good experience. And what was Belize like? Uh, I'm not sure when this was, but back then, this was, yeah. uh, this was a while ago. So about 20 years ago, right at the turn of the century, you know, Glover's Atoll still is probably the most remote part of that country. Uh, so it was a small eco resort, which I still think is there. And uh, they're still not into fishing at all. It's it's more like windsurfing, kayaking. But I knew it was an island. I knew it was in my price range. And it was, <laughs> it was some of the best uh, bone fishing I've ever experienced. So the bonefish are about eight pounds out there. So it was, uh, and, and bonefish is a great fish to teach yourself on you know they're fairly aggressive especially when they're not targeted by anybody so yeah that's how i got started so you did it and what was it about the a lot of people we've had a number of people talk about the walker's k chronicles what was it about that show that really got you and were there other shows like that out there during the time um maybe the spanish fly um as well with jose wahebe hopefully i pronounced that right it was the uh, challenge of it i don't know i mean the walker's cake chronicles kind of got poetic about it maybe um even though as i'm i'm 45 now i don't really find fishing very poetic <laughs> as we're sticking sharp metal objects into beautiful living creatures <laughs> yeah um 
but it's there's something about it that uh, brings people together and um, the challenge of it you know i didn't start out as a fly fisherman so i enjoy the challenge of it and the people i meet so it's kind of everything else about fly fishing yeah perfect so take us into you know you're there doing the salt did you do that for a number of the years at what point did you come back and make the connection over to like back to north america the tennessee and the stuff you're doing now uh, so I, I started in saltwater. So I got invited to go down to Punta Gorda, Belize, which is the southernmost city. And there were two guides there that wanted representation outside of the country. And I went down and the first day we got a slam and I told them like, look, this is incredible. The fishery is incredible. Uh, we're fishing two national parks, basically. And I bought all their boats. I bought all their outboards. I outfitted them. And then I started running clients down to them. And it was our own little guide service. And it was there we quickly realized uh, that it was the European carp anglers that had the skills to chase these fish and not the American trout angler. Then I caught the ghost carp episode of the Walker's K Chronicles uh, with Flip and Dave in a skiff chasing carp. And then I got an idea of, hey, maybe I can teach saltwater fishing by chasing carp back home before clients come down and spend a bunch of money and realize they weren't good enough. <laughs> and that ended up being the best idea I've ever had. And through the years, people kept rebooking the carp trip instead of the saltwater bonefish trips or permit trips. So once I realized, like, look, here's a market for this. That's how I expanded down to the Tennessee River. And multiple species opened up, as in gar, carp, buffalo, and drum. Um, all sight fishing from a saltwater skiff. Yeah. Wow, this is great. And and, uh, and so the ghost carp episode, we'll see if we can look that up and put it in the show notes. I'd love to uh, get some, uh, some of those links out there. So why did you uh, – so the Tennessee River, why Tennessee, why not any other river that has carp around the country or other species? It's a straight shot south from where, you know, I live and my family lives. Uh, like I said, I'm in Cincinnati, so it's a straight shot south, uh, about four or five hours. I started to explore that river system. I've always fished it. I've got family in the area. And uh, it just, once I started exploring it, it just has every sight fishing environment that I wanted. Uh, it's got mud flats. It's got sand flats. It's got creeks. It, I mean, it, it just has everything. Plus, you know, when you start looking at uh, world record fish, uh, a lot of the species like the buffalo or the drum, uh, all the world records have come out of that river system. So I knew it had trophy fish and I wanted the trophy fish. And that's how I kind of expanded that fishery. Right. And now, and you're still in Cincinnati. Have you thought about making the move down to, you know, get closer right in at, on the Tennessee sort of thing? No, I mean... Like I said, my wife works at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, which is the number one children's hospital in the world right now. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's hard to get her out of there. And then my kids go to special schools here and that they love. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, we have the same thing. It's kind of like, man, it's, they say, what, what are the two biggest stressors? It's like moving. And I don't know what the other one is, but moving is not an easy thing, especially when you have a family, right? That's challenging. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you basically... So you're in there. So when does the, you know, when does your guiding season start? Do you kind of make them, you know, the shift down there? Are you driving a lot? How's that look? No, I kind of, 
you know, I have a place down there. So, you know, I live down there throughout the summer. So June, July, and August are definitely the three best months, but we start, I can start around Mother's Day to Halloween, depending on the temps of that year. So as long as the water temperature is above 60 degrees, uh, we can fish. Okay. Right. So basically if somebody's listening now and they're really interested or they're maybe down there, want to learn more. So June, July, August would be the time. And is there a good thing you would recommend if somebody wanted to connect with you and if, find out about trips? What's the easy way? Uh, the website, uh, kneedeepexpeditions.com. Got a decent following on Instagram. Uh, if you want to see a lot of more photos and video, but yeah, that's, that's all I got. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. No, I think that what I've, I hear a lot, you know, we do a lot of these episodes and uh, I've heard that a number of times from people with other species, you know, I think trying to think of the last one, basically like, um, I think dry fly John was talking about how he fishes in Alaska. He guides all year, but he comes back to his place in the Southeast and teaches people how to spay cast on his local rivers where nobody uses a spay rod that people come there first to prep for the Alaska trip, you know, and fishing for the and big fish, kind of like what you're doing. So yeah, it makes sense. But now are you still, is saltwater a thing? Or are you pretty much all Tennessee now full deal? No, no, I, I still use Tennessee as a training tool because we get 200 shots a day. So I kind of train you by the shots. I mean, we will see 200 fish a day, uh, June, July, and August. Between gar, carp, buffalo, and drum, it's all sight fishing. Uh, they're big fish. They're smart fish. So with that 200 shots a day, when, when we go down to my Belize location or even my Baja location, you're not going to panic. You know, you're used to these shots. And plus, I tell you, if you're ready, like, yeah. you know. If a client's not ready to go to Belize, then I'll absolutely tell him you're not ready yet. So teaching them in Tennessee with that amount of shots, it's just I'm able to get them to the level they need to do destination angling much faster. Yeah. So you're doing a little bit of both. So like you said, people are coming in for carp. Some people are staying for carp, but others are still prepping for the next, the salt trip. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, right now everyone's coming in for gar. So when we, uh, I've got two world records on the fly. One we just got in July. Um, so everyone's <laughs> kind of excited about that long nose gar. Squala Fly Fishing combining advanced materials with fishing focused, purpose built design. Squala waders, jackets, shirts, pants, and insulation are made for us. To help Wet Fly Swing listeners right now, Squala is offering a 10% discount on your next order. Just visit squalafishing.com and use the coupon code WETFLYSWING10 at checkout. That's Squala, S-K-W-A-L-A, gear for us, the serious angler. How big is the, the world record that you, and talk about that world record, what is that? Is that like a line weight sort of thing? Uh, so the story is two years ago, we caught a 62, 63-inch gar. My cradle, I use a musky cradle to scoop them up and bring them in the boat, only measures out to 60 inches. So I got that catch. We filmed everything. Uh, I got that catch certified by the IGFA for the client. Uh, it was a little piece of paper, 20 bucks, you know, that kind of deal. Yeah. Two months after that, the IGFA came out with a measuring device just for fly anglers, really, to get length records, fly length records. 100 bucks to get this measuring device. So I went ahead and bought one, put it on the boat because we see world records uh, my expeditions last about three days down there, three fishing days, four nights. And in those three days, we normally see a world record. Like, like you have an opportunity in one of those days, normally. And, you know, July of this year, 
I had a client first time ever on a skiff from Indianapolis who, um, I mean, conditions were perfect. It was glass out and we filmed the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, 62, 156 centimeters. So 62 inch the fish was about 50 pounds. Um, so it, out of an all tackle record, I think was at like 44 pound long nose gar. So this was, a uh, it was, a, it was a very large fish. Yeah. <laughs> so this is awesome. And, and the trips you do, well, let's first talk about the measuring device. Now, what is this thing called? Where can people get, is this for just, is this for all species? Yeah, it's for every species. Uh, you can go and, and it's fairly new category, uh, for the IGFA, but it, it allows you not to kill the fish, you know, yeah. you don't have to kill the fish. So, and, uh, it's basically a, a right angle piece of plastic that you put the nose of the fish on and then it's big, long tape measure. I mean, it's, it's long, like you could do bill fish on it if you wanted to. It's a big measuring device and, um, yeah, for a hundred bucks. And if you're interested in world records. Yeah. And this is something where you have it in the boat or can you do this while the fish is in the water sitting there on the bank sort of thing? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just imagine a very large six inch wide tape measure. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. So we'll, we'll try to find that link to, uh, let people take a look at that. And then, so your three days, it sounds like so down in the Tennessee. So you're doing kind of multi-day trips. Is that typically what people would set up or how's that look? Yeah. The typical expedition is three days, four nights. Um, I have an RV there that sometimes, um, I'll offer for it's, I call it my mobile fly fishing lodge. So, um, if my fishery gets blown out, um, you know, I can move further down the river. It's not a big deal, but yeah, people come and, you know, we campfire, tell stories. Uh, I got full bar cigars. Uh, we go out to dinner each night, breweries, or, you know, I, I can cook. Really? So yeah, it's, it's a full fishing expedition experience. And, uh, like I said, it, it's how I, though, I think it's, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to fish the globe and, uh, I still think it's the best sight fishing on the planet. I mm. really do. Just because you're getting so many shots and all that. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and it's such different shots. I mean, you know, I mean, we cut carp on the surface, we can carp tailing, uh, buffalo tailing, and then gar on the surface. And when they hit that fly, it's very visual and it's very powerful. Wow. This is awesome. And, and so you're just, I'm just trying to paint that picture. We've been, we've got a little travel program similar. It sounds like to what you have, but we're setting these things up and, just finding, you know, some, there are some challenges with it, but it sounds like you got a pretty awesome setup there. So you either go out, I mean, you got kind of breakfast, it's all, all inclusive sort of thing. People just come in get their fishing license and then they're ready to kind of hang out, camp, do whatever, and then go fishing. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What is it just roughly, I'm just curious for those again, interested, what, what does it cost? Do you have availability for people to uh, check in with you on this? So just the fishing, uh, there's two different packages. If you want to just fish and get your own hotel, that's 1800 for the three days of fishing. And if you want to do the all-inclusive thing, uh, that's more like 2500 Yeah. So, yeah. it's awesome. That's a really good deal. Yeah, I mean, the, we've been, again, I've been looking all around and guide prices, you know, definitely range from anywhere probably right there, right? 600 550 all the way up to $900, sometimes more, at least in North America, so you're, yeah, it's a good offer. Oh, and that is based on, I mean, I don't, I mean, I run a 40 horse on a 17 foot skiff. Uh, I'm not, uh, we don't have to make long runs. So I, I primarily focus on a 10 mile stretch of, of river. Um, so it's not, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not spending a lot of money on fuel. Let's yeah. put it that way. No, I, I hear you. No, I think it's great. And I love you that you just paint that because again, I know 
all the work we've been doing, it's hard to keep that price below $3,000 on these trips just with expenses. So this is cool. You're able to do that. It is. And and like I said, it's, um, I mean, I don't make a lot of money doing the Tennessee stuff, yep. but it's like my form of advertising. So once you fish with me um, there and I teach you how to do this, then they book all my other programs. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. It's so good. I mean, you basically have a, you know, it's your marketing funnel, essentially, you know, get people in and, and it's cool because they're getting a bonus. I mean, it's not like this carp thing is like, just like they're hating it. You know, they're getting this experience yeah. too. I mean, it's almost like two experiences in one, which is awesome. Well, let's talk about a little bit on the site fishing, because I think people listening here, there's lots of people that talk about carp. You know, we've talked about gar, the drum. We haven't talked about the buffalo. That's one species we haven't talked a lot about, but what do you tell somebody when they're coming in there, they're getting ready or they're on your boat? What are the tips, maybe a few tips people to, to get them ready for that salt trip, you know, as far as site fishing? Uh, you know, I start them off with basically like the protocols, you know, how to, uh, so I have a raised casting platform above the deck. Um, so you can climb up on that, get your balance on that. I do have a lean bar for people to grab on. I have a very wide skiff so I can take older clientele. So I've had guys in the nineties still sight fishing with me. Wow. A lot of guys in their eighties that are still able to do it. And that, like I said, my skiff is 82 inches wide. So it's a very wide skiff. But only five hundred pounds, so Jeez. I wish they made that boat. Is that a fiberglass boat? Yes, it's a it's an old Ranger Banshee, two thousand six. Wow, cool. Yeah, I keep having to refurbish it. But yeah, we I start with protocols. You know, hold the fly. You know, how I'm going to point out the fish, where I want the fly. Um, I kind of start there, and then based on their distance level, I can get really close to fish for clients, but then I can also keep easing back once they get the ability to get that fly where it needs to be. So for me, it's all skip positioning for the shot because for the gar, I have to, the technique that we use to catch gar is a technique we would never use for any other species. Uh, And that's based on the fly design of the gar for the gar. Right. Because it's the fly that gets tangled in their teeth, right? It doesn't really have a hook. Is that how it works? No. So that's like a rope fly. uh, And that fly actually harms the fish and cannot land the size of the fish that we are catching. Oh, gotcha. Right. Because there's multiple gar. There's a few different species out there, right? Yes. Well, I mean, the rope fly is designed for the long nose. It's just we're catching such large fish that they can get untangled. They're so powerful. They can get untangled. Sure. Plus, if you don't get all that rope out, well, then you just killed that fish. Oh, wow. Wow. So I created uh, what I call the garfly, and it is basically a small bait fish pattern, about four to four and a half inches, and it's on a very small flexible hook, and there is a treble hook connected with Power Pro to the main hook, 30-pound Power Pro. So as we present the fly and we cross the fish, keeping the fly even or above the fish, that fish will capture that fly in its like dead center of the fly he will eat that fly dead center and then i have clients lower their rod tip down and go straight up as with all their might with one hand stopping at 11 o'clock the second that gar captures that bait fish he will shake his head and that power pro since the gar's teeth are like ice picks and they're not serrated will lasso around the beak, uh, if it were the nose of the fish, where the treble hook pulls tight and acts as a grappling hook. Wow. 
because there's no meat in a long nose's mouth for a hook to penetrate. So the power pro flosses in between the teeth and wraps around and then the treble just pulls tight. So as long as we keep medium pressure, uh, we can land that fish now it's safely without harming it. God, this is really cool. This is like, uh, how long did it take you to, to get this? Three, three years. Yeah. Three years. <laughs> this is amazing. God, so yeah. cool. So that's it. And I remember, I can't remember the last episode we had on Garb, but it, it might've been a different species, but yeah, he was describing the process of the, you know, tangling and stuff. And that was interesting too, but this is, yeah, that the treble hook is usually something you wouldn't think you would think that would be doing some damage, but essentially here, because what, there's such a hardy head of a fish that the treble really doesn't do, do much to him. Yeah. It's just solid bone and teeth, just solid bone and teeth. So all it does is pull tight and then you're actually, it's the power pro that catches them. Yeah. Oh, it's the power pro, right? Cause it's, la- it's literally lassoed. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's wow. lassoed around them cause it went right through their mouth and flosses in between the teeth. Yeah. God, that's cool. Okay. So that's, so that's gar. And so on the accuracy, let's just take gar. I mean, it sounds like all these four species or so that you fish for are similar as far as the casting, but what is, if somebody's getting prepared, you know, what is that length and accuracy to get ready for say a bonefish or permit or any of those other salt species? I like 40 feet in a hula hoop. If you can put a fly 40 feet in a hula hoop, you can catch fish anywhere. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Like a large hula hoop or just any hula hoop. Just a, it's a bigger, bigger than a pie plate. Yeah. It, what you, well, carp is, you, you need that paper plate, mm. but if you have the skill to catch or to consistently put a fly 40 feet in a hula hoop, then the guide should be able to get you on fish. Oh, right. Yeah. Get a little, like you said, if he's can't cast, get a little closer and then he doesn't, then he's going to be more accurate, that sort of thing. Yeah. Plus with the opportunities. So for me, 40 feet in a hula hoop, you know, if we, we will miss fish after fish, after fish, it's no big deal because there's so many more fish, you know, there's a fish every 50 feet. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, wow. So yeah, you're not worried about, that's not your one shot for the day. Yes. So yeah, for fresh water. Now salt water, that's completely different, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Wow. This is, this is good. So, and let's take us to the deck. So you're on the deck and what is the hardest out of those species? I think you mentioned, what are the four or so that you target out there in freshwater? Buffalo is by far the hardest. So I can only target. So being up as high as I am, I've been able to discover a few things throughout the year. All these fish on high ultraviolet days, high UV days, are on the surface and absorbing as much ultraviolet as they can. So buffalo will will school up in schools of hundreds. And you know, I got videos all over Instagram and whatnot. And they just sit there and sun. Well, a buffalo's mouth is eventually located. So it's it's located on the bottom of their face. So they can only feed downward. So all those fish I see on the surface, I cannot target because they physically can't eat a fly unless it's on the bottom and they feed like vacuum cleaners. So when I'm targeting Buffalo, I can only target them on the sand flats because they can't see very well and I don't scent flies. So they have to be able to on the sand, see a dark colored fly pop in front of it. And then they just kind of vacuum it in Hmm. and they have very, very small mouths. So I have to downsize my carp fly, which mainly was what we use because we're Wherever we find buffalo, we find carp as well. If I really just wanted to target buffalo, then I'd have to downsize the fly to like a size eight. Back again here with Daniel from Northern Rockies Adventures. Uh, Today, Daniel's going to share some more Northern BC fishing tips. How's it going, Daniel? Doing great as always and always happy to talk fishing. 
So today we're going to find out like when to fly fish northern BC. So talk about that. When's the best time? If people are thinking they've never been up there, they want to do a trip, when should we be heading out? I feel like our, our most prolific hatch is actually probably the caddis hatch. We, we do have a fairly strong mayfly hatch as well too. But really the caddis is, is to go to, especially coming in August. I find that that's the, the, the fish just kind of key in a bit more on, on caddis patterns. The other interesting one is all the way up until September, uh, since we have such a such a long winter, the fish are eager to bite. So we can fish right up into to mid-September, no problem. Um, we could go further, but there there is weather constraints at that stage. Uh, we start getting ice and snow and the fishing may be good, but it, it doesn't make for very enjoyable fishing at times. So we're going to be talking more about this on an upcoming episode, episode uh, 540. Uh, this will be this will be an awesome episode where we're going to dig deeper into all of this. Uh, right now, people can go out to nradventures.com slash wetflyswing if they want to look more into your, your operation. And until then, Daniel, thanks for your time today. And the buffalo looks, I mean, kind of like a carp. Is it a similar in the family order of, of carp or similar? Well, the buffalo's native, so there's three species. There's the smallmouth and the uh, black buffalo, which have the ventrally located mouths on the bottom. The big mouth buffalo has a mouth more like a common carp. So a common carp can feed at every level of the water column, where the smallmouth buffalo and the black buffalo have to feed on the bottom. I gotcha. So you're, and which is the species you're targeting there? All of them. Oh, you have all of them. Yeah, so you do have the small. So the smallmouth, yeah, it looks kind of like a sucker's mouth sort of thing. And then the big mouth has just that normal carp type mouth, which is right in front. Yes. And the big mouth is what I have the fewest of. So it's the small mouth and, and the black buffalo is what we normally target. Yeah. I see. Okay. Good. If we wanted to target them. Yeah. And those are the hardest mainly because there's just not as many or they're harder to catch. No, there, there's a lot of them. In fact, that's, you know, there's more buffalo than anything else. And especially in the Tennessee River, because they are also a filter fish. Uh, so they like those fish in there. But yeah, they just, they're harder to catch because <laughs> the, their mouths are small. You know, I don't scent the flies, so they're harder to catch because they don't see very well either. Yeah. Is, uh, I know in saltwater, the wind can be a factor. Is that something that you, you guys have a lot of out there that people are learning around? I don't have a lot of wind. In fact, this was the windiest year uh, I can remember. Um, when there is wind, I cannot target gar. So that's something you keep in mind. But, you know, throughout the summer months, it's very steady weather and uh, it is hot, but the hotter, the better. I, mean, I want temps in the hundred degrees. Yeah. The hotter, the better. And, and why is that? Uh, fish are on the surface more. Yeah, that's it. They just want the sun. And it's interesting because they're down the, the hotter, so more sun and they're just trying to, yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. They're just, they're warming up. I mean, what happens when it's colder out there during those summer months? Um, you, you get a little cold front, uh, the carp still feed, the guard do not they lay on the bottom and just wait for that ultraviolet day because once they expend the energy to feed and they're feeding on giant shad then they lay up and re-energize is what i call it uh, with the ultraviolet right on so so again let's take it back to the boat so you're sitting there you're getting them prepared um are you talking to them saying hey there's a gar there's this other species or do you just say cast there at uh, 11 o'clock and go for it no so you know we're different fly for each species. So we're targeting whatever fly rod that, you know, that we have. I don't start targeting gar until the afternoon. So we normally start a day by just carp and buffalo on the flats, whether we start in a creek flat, we have these red clay flats 
that I'd, I'd like to start with, uh, especially with new, new guys, because they, they see this giant red puff of clay come up. Uh, so it's very, you know, it's impossible to not see it. So I start there and then we move over to, um, you know, just maybe some surface fish. You can get into a creek channel and you'll see these in about five feet of water. You'll just see this bubble uh, that looks like a spring come bubbling up from the water. Well, if you sit there and you wait, that fish will come pop up on the surface right at the last, you know, as soon as he's done feeding. And then we can target that fish on the surface. So I only have one carp fly on the boat and I, it's the only carp fly I've ever used. And it's just a simple little, uh, you know, marabou puff with some astas on it. And um, they're opportunistic feeders being a fish that big. If something is presented properly and they're going to eat it. They're not, I've never, other than them focused on like mulberries or cicadas or something, those fish rooting around will eat whatever pops up. Mm, okay. And, and is buffalo similar? Yes. Yeah. So that's why, so basically you start with buffalo and carp and then, and then when do you know when it's changed, just when it gets warm enough, uh, you know, you can switch over or get, start seeing some gar. Yeah. When conditions, you know, nice and calm, things get slicked out, then we start looking. Okay. And then what about the, uh, the drum is another species we've talked a little bit about, but how does that factor in here? So drum like rocks, uh, they like clear water. They hit more like a bass. So instead of carp and buffalo, I like to catch fish on the drop. So where the drum, I like to catch fish on the strip. So they love that fly moving. And I use a little crayfish pattern uh, is all I use for them. Right. Good. And, and so now take us back. So we're on the boat. Let's just say we're, we're looking at a carp getting set up. You got to talk about how you're holding the fly, how you're getting that person ready. And then what is, is it one back cast and then hit it, hit the spot or how do you coach them? Well, you, you want as few back casts as you can, but you still got to get the fly where it needs to be. I like to go beyond the fish, say three feet and then pop that fish up on the surface or even rip it in on the surface as fast as you can. As long as you can see the fly, rip it into the fish and then let it fall naturally. And that fish will lunge and suck that fly in. Uh, That's how I catch carp or buffalo. Gotcha. And by rip it in the fish, you say drop it three feet and then just strip it, drop it in. And like it could, are you hitting in the head, the side, the front, or how's that? How are you doing that? Uh, So you're going to imagine that paper plate in front of that fish. You're going to go just beyond that paper plate and I don't care how you do it. You can just strip it in, but like really rip it in up on the surface. I mean, you can make a little wake with that fly. I I do not care as long as it doesn't splash right on the fish's head. Now, if the fish is aggressive, sometimes he'll just crush it, but nine times out of 10, he's not going to be that aggressive uh, because he's in a foot of water. And so they're very alert to what's around them. So I just tell clients to just rip that fly in to where you can see it and then let it fall naturally. And on that fall naturally, by lowering your rod tip down, he'll lunge forward and suck it in. Now, so I'm 10 feet up above, you know, I'm much higher than the client. So I'll see that fish eat. So uh, most of the time I have to tell that client because once a carp eats, you don't feel anything because he's still sitting there. He just chewing on it. So he's not moving. So you can't, you didn't feel anything. Uh, so that's so nine times out of 10, I'm telling that client to set the hook because I can see it cause I'm so far up in the air. Gotcha. And what does the hook set look like? Yeah. <laughs> so it, I call it the one. So I've never trout fished a day in my life. Oh, wow. Never. You've never trout fished ever. 
Never. I've been a fly fishing guide since for 20 years. That's sweet. Not one single day have I ever trout fished. So I, I can't call it a trout set because I really don't know what a trout set is. So I call it the Walmart set. So when you watch those bass fishing shows on TV, you know, they're ripping lips. That's my hook set. I like to rip lips on carp. I do not like the strip set because the carp isn't moving. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the carp is just sitting there. If you strip it, you're going to pull it out of its mouth potentially. That's right. So, but if you jam them the opposite way of whatever that fish is facing, then you're jamming the hook into its mouth, not pulling it out. Yeah. So if they're facing, if you're looking at them, if the fish is, you cast out on the fish's kind of tails on the right, uh, the head's facing to the left, you want to like set the hook up to your rod to the right, up, up and to the right sort of thing towards it. Like, so that's right. Yeah, so you bury it. That's right. Yeah. And that's similar to a, uh, yeah, trout fishing in some types of situations where, yeah, you, depending where the fish is, you'll set. Yeah, make sure you're not pulling it out. Yeah, you're setting it. Okay. And then why on the salt? So that's a different thing. Now you're teaching people, some of these people come to salt for their, for the most part, it is a strip set, right? Is that a, a hard thing? To, or are you talking about that? It's always a strip set. So, I mean, you can still catch fish by jamming them, but you definitely want a strip set because when a saltwater fish eats that fly, he's immediately turned. Yeah, he's turning. Yeah. So that's why the strip set is way better and faster. Yeah. Okay. So basically, cart, buffalo, well, gar is probably a little different, but drum, those are all pretty much, you're setting like a, a strong super, you're ripping lips. Yep. I call it the Walmart set. I don't know if that's PC or not. Yeah. But. <laughs> the Walmart set. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried to figure that out. Like, what does that exactly mean? I think it's uh well, you just, you know, the bass guys, they shop at Walmart. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. team, you know, team Walmart. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's interesting with Walmart because I mean, I shop at Walmart too. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, it's one of those stores that not always, but I've been at Walmart plenty of times. It's one of those things where in fact, I just bought a cooler, uh, one of those, you know, extreme whatever coolers and, uh, but yeah, so Walmart's Walmart. But um, okay, well, what else do we need to know about this? What would be some tips if somebody's thinking sight fishing, they want to really kind of maybe learn a few more things they can kind of work on? What else would you tell them to get ready for either, I guess, this freshwater or a saltwater trip? Uh, well, I mean, experience is the only thing that is going to help you become better. So finding a guide and getting on the water because it's spotting fish is seems to be the, the trouble with most clients is being able to see that fish. So uh, I, I tell people to relax your eye and constantly scan. Never focus on one area. Uh, relax your eyes. Just keep scanning back and forth, and your brain will pick up the thing that's you know that stands out. So if you're scanning the water, scanning the water, just keep your eyes relaxed, and your brain will pick up something that is irregular out there. And that's how I spot fish. Right. And does spotting fish for freshwater and saltwater is it pretty much the same? Same tips. Freshwater is actually harder because uh, the water is not as clear. Uh, so saltwater is much easier to spot fish. Gotcha. So if you can spot fish in, on these freshwater trips, you're going to be good for salt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, what are, you know, as far as the, again, I think this sounds like a, a thing, a uh, type of fishery that you really need a boat. It sounds like you probably need a guide to do this. Are there any, is, are there folks out there doing this on their own kind of in boats or is it really you need a skiff and the full deal to do this right? To do it right, you need a skiff. You need to be elevated. So the name of my book is 10 feet above water. So on my platform is, you know, say it's four feet up, you know, I'm another six feet tall. So if I was stretching myself a little bit, but yeah, so 10 feet uh, up in the air and it, it's not a one person deal. You know, you need someone to pull the boat. Um, you can use a trolling motor to a certain aspect for chasing um, gar and slightly deeper water, but 
you know, to, to pull the flats, you got to have someone pulling and spotting fish and, and then you have an, an angler up front. So, yeah. Do you see a lot of people with boats similar to what you have out there? No, no, I don't see some gifts. No, <laughs> you, don't, you don't. So this is unique. Yeah. You're, you're doing a unique thing. Now, when, what are, I, I don't know the Tennessee that well. I mean, I know it's a pretty popular basin river, right? Yeah. You got your, uh, so it's 650 miles long. Wow. Like you say, it starts in Knoxville, drops all the way down to Chattanooga through Alabama, back up to the other side of Tennessee forms, Kentucky Lake and the land between the lakes. Um, and then dumps into the Ohio and it's got nine ma- major reservoirs on it. Wow. It's run by the TVA, which basically powers everything east of the Mississippi. So yeah, it's an unlimited body. I mean, I couldn't fish at all. Like my whole life, I, I couldn't fish at all. No, no, it's gi- yeah. 650 miles is gigantic. So it, right. And we've kind of hit on some episodes, topics around it, but never really gone deep, at, you know, to these species. So it's really cool to hear this. What, you know, one other question on, you know, just finding fish. So when you're out there, if somebody was out there, how do you find the carp, the gar, the drum when you're out there? I mean, I know you probably know where everything's at now, but what would a new person be looking for? If I was exploring new water, I always start with an iPad. Uh, you got to have satellite imaging uh, because along the Tennessee River, there are these thing you know, channels that'll lead into a giant massive slough uh, or, you know, big cove. And you have, it just blends in so well with the shoreline along the river section of these lakes. I mean, the, basically the Tennessee River is just nine major reservoirs connected by the Tennessee River. So you just drop a flag and then head, you know, with your phone or whatever, and just head to that area. And then you can work your way back from there. And then you find these giant flats. So, you know, that's how I'm exploring new waters, always with an iPad. And then obviously you use Navionics and then you just, uh, you find the shallow water and you start pulling. Yeah. And start doing it. So that's it. Find the shallow water and you will probably find the fish eventually. Yeah. And there's different things that, uh, you know, gar like, uh, gar like five feet of water and they like flat calm water. So if you find some wind protected areas, start trolling real slow through them and you can find an occasional school. Yeah. And carp, uh, what's their perfect uh, depth and, and conditions? Carp, there's so many of them. They feed, you know, they're never, I mean, they're just constantly feeding on different things. So again, they don't like wind. So if it's real windy out in the main body of water, then just keep heading as far up a creek or, you know, any wind protected area, uh, the fish like. Right. Okay. And then I'm assuming drum, that probably none of them love the wind is, or do any of them are okay with the wind? You know, drum just like rocks. So yeah, they don't really care about the wind. Um, wind does make things harder to spot, but they like rocks. You find rocks, you can find drum. Talk about your book. Describe that. What, what's the title uh, and what haven't we covered that maybe your book covers or, you know, talk about your book a little bit here. Um, book's called 10 Feet Above Water. It is an ebook. Uh, it's got an hour's worth of video that is collaborating and instructional. It's exclusively on Apple Books, and it is what I did during COVID. So I still had a few clients show up during COVID, so I wrote about those expeditions. Um, we, I got a guy to write, uh, Ty Goodwin, who uh, writes for the Fly Fish Journal, Drake, some big magazines. Uh, he wrote chapter one and chapter three, and he wrote about his idea of carp and gar. Uh, he's very passionate about both. 
I kind of told um, guide stories. And then inside those guide stories is basically uh, an entertaining version of how you can go do this or how I find fish or how I met people from all over the country and how I get in arguments on Instagram with these guys. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, finally, uh, I mean, chapter two is I get in a fight on Instagram. I I just get on Instagram (laughs) and uh, this guy's making fun of how I set the hook. Oh, wow. Uh, and he's on the Snake River in Idaho, and he's uh, Sage Ambassador and sure. blah, 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 blah. In fact, he did a great carp video, which is included in the book. And anyway, we get into a fight. I invite him out, and he fishes with me, brings a buddy. We have an incredible time, and he ends up becoming my best fishing buddy. Oh, wow. Right, right, right now. So, yeah. so That's we- <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. I thought that story was going to end differently. That's really cool that uh- – no, no, no. Uh, so, you know, his carp on the Snake River are feeding so much differently than mine on the Tennessee River. So his carp are running flies down, eating them and turning. So he's he's wading and strip setting all of them. And where my fish on the Tennessee River are eating that fly and just sitting there chomping on it. So it was interesting to see both aspects of this incredibly intelligent fish. Um, how they adapt to each body of water. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, you hear about sometimes, right, Instagram, some trolls, things like that. You probably had some situations where that didn't work out so well. Do you, you know what? Yeah. I, I've had nothing but positive. Oh, good. Yeah, Instagram has been very positive. I've been able to meet fly tires. I've been able to pick up clients. You know, just I think secrets are for little girls. So if someone calls me up or sends me a message, then and, and they want some information on how they can go do it, well, I just tell them. Yeah. I mean, that's a, which, you know, same thing the book does as, as well. But, uh, yeah, I want to, I want this type of fishing to become mainstream. I don't want to be the only one doing it. <laughs> no. And does it feel like I, I'm, I mean, we've definitely heard a lot more about all these species, uh, except for maybe the buffalo. But, you know, do you see it getting more popular as you've been going here in the last, whatever, five, 10 years? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with the gar. I mean, I had, um, Thad Robinson. I don't know if you're familiar with no. him. He he has his own TV show on Discovery Channel, Fish or Die. He created the Fly Fishing Film Tour. Okay. He's he's he did Geo Bass. Um, he's a very well known angler. Has fished the globe and places where no one has been. He was out a few years ago with his son, and uh, he caught some gar. And he looked at me and said, "You know, this might be my favorite fish I've ever caught." And so. I'm totally agree with him though. I love carp. Uh, I love how a carp is different wherever you go. I I find that fascinating, but these long nose gar are so aggressive and so prehistoric and actually dangerous. I mean, the scales themselves are actually the most dangerous part. It's not their teeth, Mm. it's their scales and their sheer power. Uh, So, you know, I have to use Kevlar gloves to hold them. Uh, It's very rare. A client has to be, a certain shape to hold them, but you know, one kick. And I mean, that as soon as that scale brushes across your skin, you're bleeding. Oh, really? They're like little razor blades. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You have to use 10 snips. You can't like a knife wouldn't cut them. Damn. So you have to cut their scales with 10 snips. Holy cow. Yeah. And our gar, I know, um, I think there's been some struggles. I think there were some impacts on gar. How are they doing in, in Tennessee, your area? Are there plenty of gar out there. Yeah. The shad population is just insane. And I think that's for the stripers as well, but I get balls and balls of bait fish throughout the Tennessee river. 
just like so thick you can walk across them. So they, it, it's all based on forage. So they have calm water and moving water and it just unlimited amount of forage. Right. So there's no uh, short supply or, or conservation major issues or things to think about for gar. No, yeah. Well, I mean, I sure would like people stop shooting bows or bow and arrows at them, you know, but, um, but that's anywhere. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. People love the, the bow and arrow for some reason, I guess. The, and, but like you said, there's not a ton of people fishing gar out in your neck down in the Tennessee either. No, no. In fact, I, I had uh, Tennessee fishing game pulled up. I think last charter I was on, I pulled up just to do a survey of like, Hey, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah and you know once i tell them it's like oh man we've never heard of that wow yeah that's, that's great well i want to just touch on kind of some of the salt a little bit i'm um, here just for a second on belize so is this the place talk about the places you go is it a couple places now with salt that you're taking your clients well i've been running guys to Punta Gorda, belize since uh 2000 you know right at the turn of the century i trained a group of guys down there and then you know i, I bought like i said i helped them with uh, their boats and, and whatnot. Of course, now they got all their own stuff and they're doing great. But yeah, I partner up with a little hotel there and um, we even have access. My guys are also park rangers. So we have access to camp out in the park if clients are that energetic to do so. And, uh, you know, I would say Belize is the most technical and the hardest location I have to offer. Uh, then I do kind of the same thing. I found local guides, partnered up with a villa on the beach in the Mexican Baja. That seems to be my most popular location. Dorado, Roosterfish, um, yeah. guy, we got, got a Marlin oh, uh, wow. on my last trip down. Yeah. Then, uh, Brazil for peacock bass. Uh, I do backpack wilderness trips into Canada for smallmouth. Uh, I got a new Argentina location coming up mm. for a golden Dorado. Man, got all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I got a, such a huge group of clients and following that uh, if I, you know, client comes to me and says, hey, I'd like to go fish this location, you know, you want to put together something and let's go. So I got a lot of that. I'm on retainer for a few clients. So when they call me, I have to drop everything and go. Oh, really? Like go on, on the trip as a guide? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So mega yacht kind of thing. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Big, yeah. The big deal. <laughs> so what's your secret? I've just asked this because with the family, it's tough. How do you balance that with, you know, the family? And it sounds like you're traveling all over the place. I'm probably gone half a year and then I'm home half a year. But when I'm home, I'm home. Yeah. You know, I can take the kids to school, take them to practice, things like that. So it's just something that we've, I've always had to do. So they're used to it. I'm used to it. Yeah. And you, and you get to travel. Have you looked at kind of, uh, setting up, uh, you know, people that could do some of that and take over for your role or do you, does it feel like you're kind of, yes. Yeah. So last year I just trained, uh, military. Um, so I, I've got two E nines. E nine is a, maybe 1% of the military will make an E nine level. Okay. So I've got like chief master sergeant from the air force, Josh Franklin. Uh, I just trained all year and he just got his FFI certification. Oh wow. Casting instructor. Yeah. Uh, which was very hard and it's what I wanted him to do. And he, he went ahead and did it. And um, so he will be running casting lessons for us and he's mobile just like me. So if a client wants, you know, that service, uh, he can go to that location and provide that service. Uh, he's coming down to Tennessee helping with clients that I have there as well. Uh, and then he's hosting trips to Baja. He's running my Canada trips. So Yeah. I book out real fast 
uh, normally. So he's the new guy that's filling in, like accepting more clients. Then I've got a guy who's currently active who, as soon as he retires, uh, he's a uh, command master chief. And as soon as he retires, he will be the, the next one in training. Wow. This is awesome. And, you know, on the military, I'm just curious. I'm, I kind of could guess why you would want a military folks, but why is that that you're, you know, you have military in training them in fly fishing as opposed to maybe getting a fly fishing guide or something like that, non military? Well, fly fishing itself in the, some of the locations that we go, um, I mean, my local guides that we use, you know, they handle the fly fishing aspect. Um, my former military guys are trained in other aspects that provide a, a security service, um, you know, have command experience. So, yeah. So if something happens, they're ready, something, whatever. Yeah. Well, nothing's going to happen, but yeah. Yeah. You gotcha. <laughs> and are you, are you military? Do you have a background? I do not know. I'm a fly fishing guide, uh-huh. fly fishing guide only. Wow. And so how do you find, uh, you know, kind of some of these, are these just folks in your local area or how do you track down a military E9? Josh was a client who read my book, uh, booked a few trips and we got to talking and become close and, uh, you know, they're retired already. So they have time. Yeah. It makes sense. It totally sense. Yeah. I think that's the best. Some of your uh, the best employees, right, come from people that love your stuff or in the in it already. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to take it out of here uh, real quick. We're going to do our – we kind of do a conservation shout-out. I kind of talked about this a little bit. I was going to see if there are any conservation groups that you've worked with that are in your area. I'm not sure whether what Tennessee has, but but I wanted to share. This is presented by the uh, Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. Uh, Bo, we're helping uh, get the word out this year. I think that's not too far from you, but um, I just want to. No, I've done I've done both show. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great show. Oh, you have. Oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. So maybe you could give us a little give us a little rundown because uh, I haven't been to it. Although I'm I'm going to be there this year, and I know like Tom Rosenbauer is going to be there and other folks. But yeah, what is it about Bo's show? I've heard a lot of the, how unique it is. What What do you love about it? Well, first off, Bo's a great guy. I think he was a former paramedic. The show itself is great. The location's great. Uh, the people were great. The beer he brings in is absolutely phenomenal. I'm a beer guy, so. Oh yeah. Now is this the Texas or the Virginia? The Virginia. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I haven't done the Texas place yeah. yet. Um, it's uh, a tiramisu stout. Can't think of the name of it, but mm. it's incredible. So you got to try that nice. when you're there. The company I host for Nomadic Waters, the Peacock Bass in Brazil. Um, they're always at that show. Yeah, it, it's just a it's a large show, uh, and it's yeah. I can't say it. it's it's a great show. Perfect. No, this is this is, that's awesome, and uh, and like I said, I'm excited to get down there as well and uh, connect with some people out there. And I think Bo's book. He talked about that on the podcast we had him on, and it was really literally. I haven't had a lot of people cry on the podcast, but he kind of broke down a few times. And I think his book is out. He talked to some veterans and um, the stories. You know, some of those amazing stories. So um, we'll maybe put a link to that if that's available now as well. But so let's go on the conservation. Do you have any conservation groups you know of? I mean, we've got there's a ton of like trout unlimited folks like that around the country for either Tennessee or anybody around the country world sort of thing. I do not have any conservation. Uh, the the two programs I work with are Project Healing Waters and Casting for Recovery. Oh, yeah. Those are my two favorite. Yeah, those are awesome. Yeah, I mean conservation nonprofit it's kind of for me the same. So yeah, the, those are pretty much I mean I think two of the biggest, right? Two of the biggest ones out there. Yeah. Casting for recovery did, I mean, I lost my mom to breast cancer at the age of mm. 60. 
And right after that, they allowed me to come and help at one of their retreats. And that was a uh, big benefit to me yeah. uh, personally. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, both, both organizations are phenomenal. And I, and I do write about that in the book. I, so they had, uh, I had two ambassadors on that kind of tell their stories. And then the story of them fishing on my boat in Tennessee uh, is also in my book. So, well, I think like always, we, we can't cover everything here today, but I want to take away with this kind of a rapid fire round here and maybe just start us off with uh, the uh, kind of resources. You have a great resource. It sounds like maybe are there other good resources out there? It sounds like you've kind of taught yourself, but as far as GAR, CARP, are there any folks you know that are out there doing this that you maybe fish with or other people they can check out? As far as gar and carp, no, I I don't know of anybody else. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So you're you're kind of a solo. You've I mean, like you said from the start, you've trained yourself. I mean, you've taught yourself. Yes. So who have been like? Have you had? You really haven't had mentors over the time, or who would you say are some of your mentors? Uh, yeah. Again, same thing. To myself, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I have guides I respect. There's uh, Captain Jeff Arnold in Louisiana, uh, is one of my favorite guides. Absolutely, one of my favorite guides, and he does. Uh, you know, he'll target uh, if a client wants to, you know, not target redfish or jacks or sheep's head. He will, he loves to target gar. Mm. And he's got the alligator gar, the hybrid between the alligator and the long nose, which they have formed our own species. And then the long nose as well. And they all live in salt water or fresh water. So you can catch those fish 20 miles offshore. Mm, okay. Yeah. Jeff Arnold, great. And so, yeah, I guess on the casting thing for you, you've just, uh, did you go through the FFI or is that something you taught yourself as well? I just taught myself, yeah, on an island wading in knee deep water. And that's how I came up with the name of the company, Knee Deep Expeditions. Right. And for, like you said, is it the E9 that's going to be FFI certified or that is? Yes. Yeah. What did you think that, you know, again, like you taught yourself, it seems like maybe he, you could have taught him or he could have done it on himself. Why did you think the FFI certification was so important for him? I am not, so like I said, I, I'm not the best teacher. So that's why I wanted him to go get that instruction. And it is not an easy thing to do. So I teach by doing. And so repetition of getting that amount of shots during the day, each day. Uh, so that's how I teach to where he can teach actual technique and proper technique where I kind of do whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, I love it. This is awesome. I hear you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I've never had the certification. I'm an okay caster, but not, you know, not as good as most. And uh, but uh, yeah, the FFI I think is important. I mean, for me, if I really wanted to take it to the next level, I'd probably do that. But good. Okay. Well, uh, a couple more as before we get out of here. Uh, we have this podcast passport we're doing, which we're trying to get people, you know, incentivizing them to get out there and travel a little more. What would be your place it sounds like you're all over the world are there any locations still that you're thinking like this is i need to check it off the passport uh, you know whether the you know this country or others uh if i booked a fishing trip for myself i would go to exmouth australia oh australia yeah i would love to fish with jono shale in exmouth australia okay yeah and how do you spell that exmouth uh e-x-m-o-u-t-h there you go oh okay yeah yeah right right okay awesome yeah australia and what would be the species there bunch of species he's got everything yeah, everything so that's all based on weather conditions but you can catch permit bonefish gts all the billfish uh all from a 20-foot boat or on the beach i mean he's got everything queenfish is his specialty too but he can do anything okay it's a world heritage site called the nagalo reef oh wow yeah so it's uh 
small crocodile Dundee town yeah. kind of thing. Oh, sounds sounds amazing. <laughs> All right. And what about on this trout? I, I, this is kind of a fun thing because, I mean, most people, like you said, most people start with trout and then they get into the stuff. You've started with the other stuff. And so do you think you'll ever set a hook on a trout in your life? Yeah. Well, now it's become a gimmick. So when I do a presentation, I call them Craig Talks. I like being able to say I've never fished for trout a day in my life. Uh, man. And, and you know what? That offends. Oh, it does. It offends people. Yes. But then other people just eat it up. So of course I'm going to, so the guy I got in an argument, his name's Wes Walsworth. He grew up in Ketchum, Idaho. So he wants to take me up to the Frank church and he wants a bull trout to be my first trout. So I'm probably going to go do that with him. I might actually do that next year. Oh, there you go. So someday I will, I got to get a golden miss here as well. So, I mean, I mean, I'm probably going to do Bhutan for that. But we'll see. Yeah. And do you have like a species list, kind of like the, uh, the you know, some Jeff Curry or some of the folks out there where you're checking off a list? I have three. Uh, I want a golden trevally. Um, I'm going to get a golden Dorado next year and then the golden this year. So I'm searching for gold still. Yeah, you'll be good. Uh, yep, gold. Okay. <laughs> I've got everything else. <laughs> right, right. This is This is good. And and so the uh, music uh, podcast, uh, this is one I love. What do you listen to more music or podcasts when you're out traveling? Oh, I'm a music guy. Yeah, music. What, what's your yeah. What's your type of music band, uh, song, anything to leave us with? We'll put it in the show notes. Any favorites? Yeah, n- no, I mean. Everything? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm blues, classic rock, um, outlaw country kind of thing. Okay. What would be a blues? Like blues, what would be a, a band or a person in the blues? Like old, like 50s blues or something like that? Oh, yeah. Muddy Waters, BB King. Yeah. Yeah, good. Good. Okay. Yeah, we'll try to track down some Muddy Waters and, and throw that in there. And a podcast, have you listened to any podcasts, any types of podcasts? Uh, unfortunately, no. No, no I haven't. Perfect. That's what I like to hear because that means you're a... I'm going to listen to this one, that's for sure. You're one of the 50%. About They say about 50% of the population listens to podcasts regularly, so you're one of the non, and we'll convert you here. Uh, I think this is this is going to be good. Nice. Okay, Craig. Well, uh, yeah. Anything else before we get out of here? You know, I think that you sounds like you have this real unique uh, operation. Is there availability if people were listening now? Like, are they waiting a couple of years, or is there a chance they can get in and fish with you? Um. I, yeah. There's schedule for all my exotic stuff. Um. There's available dates. Plus, you can just you know, like if you have a certain size group, you can just you know like if you got five anglers, you can just pick your own date. But Tennessee right now, I'm almost filled up. I think I have the month of July open. Yeah. Uh, June and August are pretty much booked. For 24. For 24, yeah. Good. Yeah. And this this will go out probably sometime in the next couple months here. So, okay. Well, we will, like we said, uh, kneedeepexpeditions.com if uh, they want to connect with you. And um, yeah, I just want to thank you for coming on today and sharing all your wisdom and knowledge. This has been awesome. I think um, we definitely will probably dig into more of these species as we go. So I uh, appreciate your time and we'll talk to you soon. Alrighty. Thanks. I appreciate it. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. 
We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.